Oh no, there's another squad attacking. Welcome to the third party and Apex Legends podcast hosted by myself, Shay, and joined as always by my co-host, Henry. Henry, how's it going today? What a weekend, mm-hmm. man. Super fun. If you're a fan of Apex, um, this was one not to miss. And if you missed it, we're going to go over yeah, everything. I think it was, it was the Super Bowl, the NBA Finals of Apex Legends. And yeah, today we are breaking down all things ALGS and our observations. And so for people that are very consistent listeners, a little bit of a switch up here. We're doing kind of like the main topic of the week today, talking all things ALGS, and we'll be covering the news on the Saturday episode. So uh, stay tuned for kind of all the latest and greatest in Apex uh, coming out on Saturday. Before we do that, though, we want to make sure you join our Discord to ask questions for the podcast, chat Apex, find teammates, and receive third-party updates. Also, please follow us on Twitter at Kirk Rudoche and at HB Burrison. Links for those are in the description. If you want to support third-party podcasts, please consider checking out our Patreon. Right now, we are thinking about making some changes uh, to the tiers, also to our content. But one thing I think we can say is if you're interested in getting a replica weapon at kind of the top end of our Patreon, you probably have a few weeks left to do that. We're thinking that that will be a legacy benefit and we'll be removing it going forward so if that's something you've been excited about saving up for the clock's ticking uh that benefit will not be around by the end of the summer that's for sure uh maybe even sooner so go check it out we'd love to have your support over there and yeah thank you to all of our appreciate it ton. you get crazy content we just talked for 38 minutes behind the scenes before this episode so if you just want an extra pod <laughs> hop on over there Let's get into it, though. Let's talk about the ALGS. Um, you know, like you said, last weekend, so held last weekend in Raleigh with the $2 million prize pool. It was great seeing the best of the best compete against one another. Before we kind of like dive into it, what were some of your first reactions to just kind of seeing the first LAN event since pre-pandemic, which is what kind of, I yeah. think, differentiated it from everything we've been talking about and watching since we started this podcast? Yeah, my my first two initial reactions to watching it the first few days was number one, having the the energy of the in person crowd was definitely taking not only the excitement to the next level, but also the mm-hmm, competition. Mm-hmm. You know, the the pressure is on uh, when your fans are flying all the way around the world or all the way around the country to watch. Um, but my second reaction was these teams are playing a lot of Apex at a Mm -hmm. high level. I would be exhausted even going into Mm -hmm, day two. mm -hmm. Like we play a lot of Apex. We've had some, you know, intense sessions. We've streamed in the past, but to play competitively for this long, kind of outrageous. Like you have to be really, really conditioned to be able to stay at a a peak performance for that long. 100%. It's incredible how long they were playing it. I mean, I'll be honest, I watched a lot of it. I didn't watch all of it, though, because it was just, it was the entire weekend, truly. Like, if if you yeah. wanted to watch every second of it, it was every second of your weekend, it felt like. Um, but yeah, I got to echo the, the in-person atmosphere was, oh my gosh, so amazing to watch. My two takeaways from the in-person atmosphere, though, were, one, we're going, wherever it is next time around. I tweeted it, so it's locked in, contractually signed. We're going. All right, um, all right. And two, 
I was like, and by all means, Henry and I are huge fans of the casters and stuff. But watching the in-person, I was like, yeah, I can't cast right now. Like if I wanted to, and people have kind of like asked us if that's something we would want to do and stuff. And seeing those guys and gals take it up to another level in person, interacting with the audience during as well. It was a masterclass that was just so awesome to watch from that perspective as well. I was so impressed. They were incredible. Like really, really (laughs) impressive casting. And like we've been asked to try casting some professional tournaments, but also just our own private lobby tournaments. Um, People have wanted us to stream and cast them. And the last few, we've kind of tried practicing, uh, not live, but we've tried to commentate and cast over it. It's fun, but it's very, mm-hmm. very difficult. Like to follow the action, to be engaging, um, it is challenging. It, it's it, a lot of fun. I won't yeah, back yeah. away from it completely, but this event was very impressive from a casting I mean, perspective. Shout out as to well. the camera crew. Like those guys are the unsung heroes oh because, I mean, the casters are obviously going off of and also asking for different perspectives yeah. at times as well. But they do such an incredible job of monitoring it and us having run private tournaments, knowing how the controls work and how you can view what's going on essentially. I don't know how big that team is, but it's got to be a huge team and they smashed it 100%. Uh, They even showed enough TSM, which was uh, everything the crowd was asking for the entire time. Yeah. I I think one of our favorite parts of the like internal controls is third person Mm -hmm. mode which is really cool. But the free cam that they were doing uh, for this event was so cool Mm -hmm. to see. Teams converge, final circles. I think that's the best perspective you can take um, in most rings. So yeah, I guess we got it. We gushed a little bit on that, but it was enjoyable. I liked Uh, it Yeah, I mean, it was awesome. It was just cool. I mean, seeing like Daltouche get there, Designful, uh, we had a bunch of streamers show up. No Coco went there as well. Like it, it was just an incredible atmosphere. Want to be there next time for sure. Um, yeah, keeping it going though a little bit. The viewership uh, across all platforms that was reported. And I'm gonna throw a little caveat on it, Henry, because you and I both work yeah. kind of in the influencer space for our full time jobs, and we were kind of trying to put these numbers together, and we're not exactly sure where they got them. But I imagine they did. They're not lying. I imagine they got to them in some way, shape, or form. We just don't know exactly. But peaked at 632,000, averaged 290,000, and 11 million hours watched, essentially. Ooh, that's some serious, big event. serious Apex viewership. Like, biggest event, yeah. like you said. <laughs> yeah, the, the reason that we're a little puzzled as to how they got those numbers was... If you combine, you know, the Twitch viewership and the YouTube viewership, you don't really reach that number in terms of a peak, definitely. But like Shay said, we got to trust that these are verified numbers. Maybe there's things Mm -hmm. we don't understand. Um, But needless to say, this was a huge event. And I think it's honestly kind of sad we've had to wait this long for an event this Mm -hmm. of this caliber. But I think we'll kind of get to this as we go into more of the specifics about the competition. But from this, it was clear that Apex has evolved and people have gotten yeah. better. 
Like, not only has the game gotten more popular to command this kind of audience, but the actual competition is just on another level compared to two years ago. Like, people have gotten so much better with the legends. Uh, new legends have obviously mm-hmm, impacted mm-hmm. that, but even just people's abilities to call rings, um, to use the guns, people have just leveled up yeah. in skill. And maybe that's an obvious thing, uh, you know, two years later, but it's impressive to see that this game is just getting harder and harder by the day at the competitive level. Yeah, it is crazy to truly see it, though, like in action versus when we kind of first started and first watched. But yeah, Uh, talking about the results, though, massive shout out to the back to back champions, Dark Zero. Holy heck, back-to-back. We're, I mean, if you go 3 P, that's dynasty level at that point. So I'm really excited mm-hmm. to keep the keep our eyes on them going forward. Uh, but rounding out the top three was Furia in second and 100 Thieves in third. You know, I, I honestly, I put into our show doc highlighting a couple teams. I think we should just rattle through the top 20 and just give them some props all. Is that fair to say? We okay. got time, Shay. Yeah, give Fourth, them some. Fourth, Fnatic. Fifth, GMT Esports. Sixth, Space Station Gaming. Seventh, TSM. Eighth, Alliance. Ninth, NRG. Tenth, AD. Eleventh, Scars. Twelfth, Team Liquid. Thirteenth, Exo Clan. Fourteenth, AYM Esports. Fifteenth, Cloud Nine. Sixteenth, Optic. Optic. Seventeenth, Team Burger. Eighteenth, Sata Division. Nineteenth, IG International. And twentieth, Ascend. Uh, the reason I wanted to rattle off everyone is we are lucky enough to have a global audience. I don't follow Apex Esports close enough globally uh, in all regions. And so what may be a highlight to me uh, may not be a highlight to someone everywhere else. So everyone gets some credit. But obviously, I think the big one that sticks out there is uh, TSM coming up in seventh place, who is obviously kind of the the favored going into most tournaments nowadays. But after recent performance, I don't think they're going to be uh, everyone's number one pick moving forward at this point. So really excited to kind of see the future of these teams, how maybe new players make it in next time around, if any teams break up, uh, all that kind of fun stuff will be interesting moving forward. Yeah, the top 10 were all so impressive, mm-hmm. honestly. And to see a team like TSM be seventh, but also Alliance yeah. be eighth, I think it's just so indicative of the game mm-hmm. is changing, the meta is shifting. Teams like GMT just put out such an incredible performance. Fnatic, one game they played a yeah. lifeline mm-hmm. um, and scored some decent points, not necessarily directly because <laughs> of lifeline, but they did some really impressive things. Had a great big win. I remember watching. Um, yeah, just a shout out to all the teams, like you said. It was so mm-hmm. impressive because it's in person. The pressure's on. The game is at such a highly competitive state. And this is the hardest lobby that has ever happened in the history of Apex. And to perform like this yeah, is remarkable. 100%. And it's crazy to see these teams from different regions actually competing against each other now for the second time after Sweden. But these people aren't familiar with gaming with, against each other. And that's a whole other yeah. element, I think, that needs to be taken into account at a certain point. Uh, it's really interesting to see. It, it would be a crime, though, if we didn't talk about the, when we're talking about the results, if we didn't talk about kind of outside of the COVID stuff, the big piece of controversy to come out of this event. And that kind of comes from Team Furia, 
who placed in second but scored the most points in the final due to the match point system. Uh, a little breakdown of match point system, though, for anyone that doesn't know that system. So in Apex Legends match point, teams can only win by reaching the threshold of 50 total match points and then winning a game. Teams can't simultaneously reach the 50-point threshold and win the tournament in the same match, meaning teams will not win the championship if they enter a game with 45 points and then win that game, increasing their total points total over 50. They must be at 50 points or more before a game starts to be eligible to win the title. So you have to go through, get your placement, get your kills, get to that 50-point threshold, then win a game to actually secure the win of the tournament. And why it's interesting is because when we look at the overall points leaderboard, we just kind of gave you that top leaderboard, but we got Furia with 85 points, 100 Thieves with 75 points, and Fnatic with 74 points. And then our winners, Dark Zero, had 70 points. Uh, and so if you go by that point system, Dark Zero's in fourth, but because of the match point system, they came out on top. Uh, the reason this is kind of controversy is that Furia... And led by his Watson, kind of taking the Twitter, expressing that they're not a big fan of the system. They're the best team uh, and that they would, I guess, they're just not really big fans of Match Point. Um, I, I think we can share our opinions about it. I'll, I'll let you kick it off. Uh, where where do you fall on kind of this Match Point line and what's kind of going on with his Watson and Team Furia on Twitter? Yeah. So to kind of explain where Team Furia might be coming from is their team not only secured the most points, but they performed the best on average match to match to match over the entire weekend. So they scored, they placed the highest, and they had the most points in terms of kills per game compared to everybody by quite a margin. So in that respect, there's no denying that they were the best team in attendance. But Shay and I are kind of fans of the match point system because it really heightens the competitiveness of the lobby. Um, you know, if we look at the match results, many, many teams were at the match point threshold. So it was anybody's game at the end. And, you know, for a tournament of this size, the difference between first and second is two hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So it's huge, a huge, huge difference. deal. Mm-hmm. Um, if you perform really, really well, you get a ton of kills. Um, like Team Furia, then you're probably going to secure that second place mm-hmm. no matter what. That's awesome. You're walking away with plenty of money. But if you want to win, you have to win the game. And I really like that in a BR. Um, you know, I think that if you don't have a match point system, or the reason why they implemented a match point system is to keep the game engaging for the competitors mm-hmm. and the viewers. Because if you have five games and match four you win and you get Mm -hmm. 15 kills that just puts you at such a point advantage against all the competition that even if you get in the top 10 you're probably just going to win by default because you had such a huge game before that's not exciting you know that's not really fun to watch because then we're watching those that last game those last fights just playing for second playing for third whatever because you had that one big game. If you have match point, you need to prove that you can win games and survive, out-survive everybody else after you get to that threshold, which I really think is cool. Mm-hmm. 
I'm a huge fan of it, honestly. I, I think it's really, really cool. And I totally empathize with his Watson and the team there. Like they rightly so feel like the best team there. What Match Point does though is it creates such a competitive environment and it's such a you're never out. Like look at a team like TSM. Imagine the storyline if TSM at 35 points rattles off back-to-back-to-back wins to win the entire ALGS championship. Like At some point, you control your own destiny because you can at any time win games in a row, and regardless of where you were in the standings at that point in time, you can stop other people from winning by winning yourself. So it's like there's such a cool environment, and to me what it reminds me of is the changes they made, and and this is maybe, I'm not sure who in our audience will relate to this, but in the NBA All-Star game, they did, instead of kind of going to the fourth quarter and it ends, they implemented the final score, the target score. After X amount of time, you add a point total. First person to get to that point total wins. And what that does and what match point does is it means every win for the entire thing, it's a game winner. And that is a whole nother levels of stake and excitement watching. because. You're regardless, once you have a couple teams over 50 points, you're on the edge of your seat, yeah. kind of seeing what's going on. Um, so I just think it's super entertaining. I really empathize with Furia. I mean, I, I get their perspective of saying like they knew they could win with the play style they were playing, so they didn't want to switch it up. You know, like you kind of talked about the amount of money that was on the line. I think there's a pretty strong argument to say, hey, once you get to 50, Maybe play with whatever play style doesn't guarantee you the most points, but guarantees you the best chance at a first place. Because at that point with match point system, which everybody knew going into it, it's not like this was a surprise, but it just doesn't, it doesn't always mean the most skilled team wins. It means, you know, it's the smartest team, the most timely team, the clutchest team. Those are the people that are going to come out on top. And I think it's really, really fun to watch personally. I think that's the key takeaway is that it keeps you on the edge of your seat. It keeps it fair for everybody in a game where randomness is so impactful. You know, if you don't come across an R301, you're at a disadvantage for that entire Mm -hmm. match. That's randomness. That's what you have to overcome already. And so match point, I think, gives more fairness to other competitors. But at the same time, I talk about randomness, the team that on average, can overcome RNG of drop spots, rings, mm-hmm. weapons, mm-hmm. healables, all those things, is probably the best team. But that's not enough. You have to be even better than just overcoming the BR environment like Team Furia did. And I think it is possible that we see some change because we'll get to this a little later. His Watson was playing the game like it's never been done before. And this was his very first LAN. He just got mm-hmm. into competitive Apex, you know, former number one Apex Predator, huge ranked grinder. This tournament, this championship could change how esports operates uh, in the future mm-hmm. because it's just totally different than what we've seen in the past. Yeah, we'll see. I think it's going to be really interesting uh, moving forward to monitor because. I think the fans are a fan of it and the casters are all fans of it too. So it's like, 
at what point, how many games do you have to play to kind of prove you're the best at overcoming RNG in a BR? Like, I think there's a strong argument to say six to eight, that's good, but couldn't you at the same time say, that's not a big enough sample size. We got to play 10 games to kind of know at that point if we're just purely doing points. So it's fascinating. Uh, we're going to keep breaking this down, though, before we get into pick rates and the meta of the tournament. Here's a quick word from our sponsors. Welcome back. Let's talk pick rates. And the pick rate data does come from the majority of games, but does not include the actual final slate of games yet. Nobody has kind of come out with that information yet. But to just rattle through what we're looking at in terms of legend pick rate for the LGS, Valkyrie, number one, 98% pick rate. Gibraltar, 72% pick rate. Caustic, 50% pick rate. Seer, 25% pick rate. Watson, 21% pick rate. Crypto, 15% pick rate. Horizon, 7% pick rate. Ash, 4% pick rate. Newcastle, 2% pick rate. And Wraith, 1% pick rate. There's some rounding in there, folks, for anyone that's doing the addition along with me. Um, what's, what's the first big takeaway? What's the first big takeaway? And must throw in, Mad Maggie did make an appearance on TSM's team somehow. That was crazy. <laughs> Yeah. Um, first takeaway is this is absolutely insane. You know, this is the most drastic shift in legend competitive meta we've ever seen. Um, you know, that being said, we're still seeing the big boys at the top. Caustic and Gibraltar uh, are still definitely a staple. Um, could mm-hmm. that change? We'll talk more about it. Um, mm-hmm. The seer is mind-boggling to me. Um, that that is pretty much out of nowhere. Um, yeah, I think we'll talk no, more no about buffs, that as well. No nerfs, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's weird. I think, I guess the thing we could get out of the way is Wraith is no longer the meta, you know, yeah. and that was such a, a staple of competitive mm-hmm. Apex was the Wraith play. And even at the time, you know, we had observed that even high level Wraith play is still very risky, popping that perfect mm-hmm. port timing the phase perfectly even the best players at the highest level of competitive fail in using wraith Mm -hmm. and i think they've kind of picked up on that that it's a risk that yes Mm -hmm. she's really powerful but in terms of moving the team in clutch situations it is really risky when tens of thousands of dollars hundreds of thousands of dollars are Mm -hmm. on the line so i kind of like that having wraith be replaced by valkyrie uh i really enjoy Personally, yeah. um, I think she's a great legend to kind of have at the top. Mm-hmm. She's really interesting. And it's funny, though, because I totally echo what you say with the Wraith. Uh, I, I think Valkyrie has a ton of risk, too. Like, in the exact thing in terms yeah. of, like, you pop the ult, you go in, and then you do your best. But a lot of times you die. Even the best Valks in the world kind of lead their team into death in those end games just because of the situation you play in. So it's like, you have a longer range because of the Valkult. You got the risk going up though as well. So it's almost like, I think there's similar levels of risk. It's just different types. And it's obviously the recon on top of it is, I, is what I think gives Valk kind of that edge over Wraith along with the early to mid game usage as well. So it's really interesting. Let's talk about the most popular team comps though. So coming in at number one was Valkyrie, Gibraltar, and Caustic. At a 44% pick rate. Number two, Gibraltar, Valkyrie, Seer at 15%. 
And then we had Crypto, Watson, Valkyrie at 9%. Valkyrie, Seer, Watson at 4%. And I'm not going to go rattle off every single one of them as well after that. But we have like the the Newcastle Watson is probably the other highlight that we'll talk about uh, in a little bit when we talk about 100 Thieves. Let's talk about the highlights though. And the first one is Newcastle. Actually, I want to get right into it. I want to get right into Newcastle because I think it's interesting. I don't think we can define Newcastle as meta because only one team picked him. But the one team that picked him did finish in the top three. Newcastle coming into the LGS at this point in time, easily the earliest break for a legend to get into competitive Apex to date, which is just incredible. Um, 100 Thieves was the sole team that played him, and they highlighted, essentially, their opinion on it was Newcastle plus Watson allowed them to truly control areas better than any other legend combination out there and make a defendable position out of nothing. And I think it worked. It looked great. I was messaging you during the tournament. I was like, this is kind of how I envisioned Newcastle coming into comp if he ever did. Uh, And a lot of the casters really seem to think that 100 Thieves success in this tournament could lead to a lot more Newcastle play uh, in future tournaments. What were your thoughts, though, on kind of seeing Newcastle break in this early? I loved it. I mean, such a risky thing for 100 Thieves to do. Yeah. I'm a fan of the org. I thought this was very bold. They stuck to it uh, throughout the entire tournament and got big-time results. Like you said, that artificial cover that has so many hit points allows them to, with Watson, play areas that are otherwise unplayable but more so than that they can play them earlier you know you can Mm -hmm. make yourself known at the perfect ring position whether it's high ground or center of a a ring six shrink so much earlier and that is incredibly rewarding Mm -hmm. the comp is still risky though um because you are sacrificing a lot um by just not having a Gibby and even not having a Caustic. Um, you know, Team Fury also wasn't playing a Caustic. And I find that interesting because so mm-hmm. many of end games are determined by that. Um, I think one way to counter that kind of Caustic gas end game is the Falk jetpack into the atmosphere, mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. we saw a couple of times, uh, which is a pretty effective tactic. Um, but I love seeing Newcastle kind of perform really really well uh at the highest level i don't personally believe it's going to affect ranked or necessarily additional teams playing this way i think it's very very difficult to master newcastle and you're sacrificing so much in your early game and middle game uh just to kind of it's almost like a throwback to very early days of algs where it's whoever can get their watson to the end ring safely wins Mm -hmm. and that's really Mm -hmm. what newcastle's role is uh in that specific comp so we'll see what happens in the future i'm really excited to see what kind of goes into the future i mean and we'll get some balancing changes between now and then as well on a lot of legends and legends like valk empower you to be able to be a little bit more odd with your other team comps as well so it's a little interesting to monitor uh other highlights maggie was picked i we we could get into like kind of the seriousness of it and say like you know TSM 
part of the reasoning was that they thought the Maggie plus Seer combo could really counter any Gibraltar. It didn't really work for them. They scrimmed with it really well uh, and had a lot of dominance there, but it just didn't come out to play very well in the tournament itself. And uh, yeah, a bit on the weirder side. They just they played a lot better when they switched away from it at the end of the day. Yeah, agreed. Nothing else to add. Let's talk Seer. And we kind of spoke on him briefly earlier, but the rise of Seer, I think, plays into two key components right now. And that's one, being able to always see where enemies are to avoid third parties, not get ratted on, and as well as canceling the Gibby revives. That's kind of the two key components that we've seen Nicewig and some other pros speak to for why Seer right now. Um, but I also, we got to throw in a little caveat that that ult is good. And that yeah. ult is really effective in fights uh, and it should not be slept on. So he's overall just a really good legend. Someone I think you and I have really been fans of for a long time and I've never kind of hated on the seer life. So really cool to see him break in. What do you think about him though? Is it here to stay? I mean, is his Watson just an absolute psycho and he's the exception with seer? Um, what are your kind of thoughts on this one? I love to see it. First off, um, and I agree that we've been saying for a long time that ultimate is very much uh, undervalued. A lot mm-hmm. of times when I was watching, I was hoping that they would pop the ultimate even more. Like they weren't mm-hmm. necessarily playing with it every fight when you can, and I think you should. Like, yeah, it makes you more uh, like the dome is really visual for maybe third parties, but man, it's so powerful. What I think about Seer, though, overall is. His entire kit is recon from passive to tactical to ultimate. That is kind of crazy to play at the highest level. You know, not having uh, maybe mobility is kind of in the past what we've seen as the pinnacle of Apex Mm -hmm. is mastering mobility and any legend that allows you to elevate that is going to be the best because gun skill is so important. For these kind of games, like their their accuracy at this level is so high that you need to counter that with just cracked mobility, and that's why mm-hmm. kind of Bloodhound we were able to understand that you have that ultimate that elevates your mobility, and then you have amazing recon. The reason I think Seer was able to do so well is not the ability to use the heartbeat sensor to determine rats, not even the ultimate's ability to kind of control the flow and find isolated enemies. I think it's actually the tactical. And the tactical's ability not only to cancel healing and revives, but more Mm. importantly, reveal the health bars of enemies. Mm. Mm. And I might be wrong, but I feel pretty strongly about this because with the fans being there and call-outs sometimes being like complicated, being able to reveal exactly how much health maybe one, two, or three enemies have allows your team to focus and get the first knock easier than any other legend can provide. And mm-hmm. I think that's what led to Furia winning so many fights, is their ability to hit the tactical, which is difficult to do, and then get the first and second knock so quickly because they had perfect intel. Like You have mm-hmm. somebody revealed and you know what shield they have, how much health they have. I think that's the, that's the reason that Seer performs so well. I think that's a that's a really good line of thinking. I'm excited to kind of see if he keeps rolling. I think it. I think if that's the line of thinking, he will. I think if the line of thinking is 
he's a really strong counter to the reset meta of someone healing or reviving with a caustic or maybe even a Newcastle when that kind of comes into play, if more so, if it does. Um, then I think then he would stay for that reason. So it's or maybe he'll stay because he's good at both, you know, and and has versatility from that state of mind. So he's really interesting, and his fear or his Watson, he's the best right now. And I'm interested yeah. to see if uh, someone kind of tries to come for that crown if they go harder on just purely Watson because I think you know a big debate right now is his Watson versus Hal. It's kind of like they're going back and forth, uh, sharing some expressive emotions and i think it was interesting to see how switch between so many legends throughout the weekend yeah um and i think that could maybe lead to some of the inconsistencies from that team personally and we'll see if maybe there's a commitment to one legend there and if it is seer that would be really cool honestly it'd be really fun to see the best players not playing a movement legend nowadays and playing a recon legend uh last last big great though let's touch on it quickly valk 98% 98% pure dominance, replaced all of their movement legends, wasn't even close. Doesn't matter the map at this point. Nobody's comparing, I think. This is just an echo of what you and I have kind of been talking about for a long time now. She has the best team mobility out there and the best individual mobility. And you put those two things together, you have the most dominant legend. Like you even said, the legend that can avoid those caustic end games as well yeah. with those fly ups. It, it's a massive part of how you play the game and such. And so, yeah, I, I think she's going to be around for a long time unless she's hit with some heavy nerfs. And maybe we can talk about that in another show. Actually, we are going to be talking about that on Saturday with some of the news that broke. So we don't need to go too deep into that right now. Yeah, I think Valk being at the top again, I'm okay with it. Everybody that maybe now is saying, well, Valk needs that nerf. Mm-hmm. I don't personally agree. And I might be the first to say, Valk, she's got a laundry list of abilities. She is incredibly sensitive to nerfs. Mm-hmm. If you slow mm-hmm. down her jetpack so that it's easier mm-hmm. to hit her, she could plummet. If you increase the length of time that her takeoff happens on the ultimate, she could get canned immediately. Yep. The tactical isn't huge. As much as I'm a big fan of it and a proponent of using it more because it's really Mm -hmm. underused it's not great you know compared to a grenade or something that is a little bit more precise so i am very cautious about wanting to nerf valk at all because Mm -hmm. i feel like i understand how sensitive she is to even the slightest nerfs which Mm -hmm. she could catch so i'm a little nervous about it personally i I got i got one idea i'll share it on saturday with you and we'll tease that a little bit. Uh, last thing in terms of pick rate, I want to talk about uh, the impact on public pick rate. This is really cool to see. How is the ALGS influencing the game we're playing right now? And maybe we'll do another check-in a week from now to see if this stuff stuck. But Valk rose by 7.5%, number one. Uh, Gibraltar, 9% uh, up generally, and Seer up 23% uh, in the pick rate. Uh, in the pick race slots right now. So we're obviously seeing a huge, hey, we're watching the pros do it. We're trying to do what the pros are doing and uh, maybe having success. Not exactly sure. We'll see. It's a little tough, but I I think that's a fun correlation to see, honestly. Yeah, we'll see. I think all those changes are relative to where those legends were beforehand. Yes, Um, good clarification. Seer hopefully is getting unlocked 
you know, more now, uh, yes. which I think we love to see. And I think is a major uh, stopping factor in those lower legends popularity, the revenants, the ramparts, the seers. Um, so I, I love to see that competitive can impact that indirectly mm-hmm. besides just buffing and nerfing others. A hundred percent. Let's talk about the meta though, just generally. And yeah. ALGS, how does it work for anyone that's maybe kind of trying to digest this for the first time? I'll share maybe some of my opinions and I'll let you build off of it. But in terms of play style, I think it's broken down into kind of two options. You have the Team Fury option, be a bit more aggressive, take those early flights, reset reset as fast as possible after the fact, using the Seer to know if people are coming immediately in. And then you look to rotate in if the opportunity presents itself with not. If or if it doesn't, you kind of just continue to play edge moving forward. Other than that, though, I think the more popular play style is you don't fight early in the ALGS. You want to get placement. You stick to your assigned POI from the beginning of the game. You loot up. You head to a powerful spot near the end game if you can, uh, or you play edge and then Valkult in late and try and steal a spot or find this defendable area, kill a team really quick that maybe is weak. You just play game until the final zone, and then really you just try to clutch up at the end of the game with using your Valks, your Caustics, your Gibby bubble fights. It's really interesting, but I think the biggest takeaway just from it is the placement is number one, and you're seeing people go into round four, round five with 17 teams left, and then you see this mass exodus of people coming out. And I think it's just, that's way different than what we're used to. It's really interesting to watch, but the play style is fascinating as well. Yeah. And a lot of that kind of slower, more methodical play style definitely relies on the beacon, but it also mm-hmm. relies on the replicator. And you'll see a lot of teams that drop on the edge of the ring being essentially forced to play outside of ring one, crafting med kits in order to mm-hmm. play insane edge and that's a play style that secured teams thousands tens of thousands of dollars you know if you Mm -hmm. walked away 20th in this championship you still earned yourself 18k so you know any sort of tactic is pretty valid i would say overall the play style was definitely the most aggressive we've seen um at this level of play and Mm -hmm. i think that is really what may change the meta going forward. A lot of people are saying TSM failed to to place higher or maybe win because of Gibraltar. And mm-hmm. that's just an insane thing to say. You know, I'm a Gibraltar main, big fan of it. Gibraltar has so much to add, is really at the edge of being as nerfed as possible, you know, in terms of cooldowns and damage, things like that. Um, but that kind of begs the question, is Caustic and Gibraltar a necessary member of the team? If, you're getting, if your enemies are getting more kills on you because of your hitbox, maybe they have to be dropped, even though they add so much value to the endgame. The bubble is almost irreplaceable, definitely not by Newcastle. Um, it definitely opens up the question of how much does the hitbox matter? in those gunfights and mobility matter when you're playing a fuse seer comp, you know, mm-hmm. on the aggressive side. And that beats out the Gibraltar in a crazy way. So big switch ups on the play style. And I think that's what made this so fun to watch. 
It was really, it was really fascinating. I think one of the funniest things to me watching it was watching people and you know, the importance of long range weapons to truly just kind of try and steal Knox. Like yeah. other teams are fighting yeah. really far away and you've got your charge rifle, your longbow. You're not really trying, like you're trying to put out damage, but these players are so good that at insane ranges, they're trying to get one knock to finish a fight to not only get a team eliminated and force more teams out and increase their placement, but just to pick up that one KP point. Like that one KP point is so important and the long range weapons allow you to do so versus I think maybe some of our older style thinking was like, you get one long range person to keep people away from you and then you try to pick up all your KP in the end with two close range weapons trying to go really ham at the end. But it was like, no, nah, I mean, the best teams were picking up sizable amounts of KP pre-end game. Yeah. Uh, and it's really interesting to see how that happen. Let's keep talking about the weapons, though. You're the weapons guy. What, what was your biggest takeaway for kind of like what was meta, yeah. how people were kind of deciding what to run moving forward? Yeah, I had three main takeaways. Number one, such a variety. I think this is mm-hmm. the flattest weapon meta we've ever seen. There were all varieties, LMGs, marksmen, snipers, pistols. The whole gambit was used at a high level to win games, which I think Mm -hmm. is incredible. That just leads to such a healthy weapon pool right now. Second takeaway is maybe the opposite of that. Shotgun-wise, not so much. It's PK only. Only one. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I thought was interesting is currently we have the wingman, and the crafter. In the past, the wingman has probably been in the top three most popular weapons in competitive Apex for Mm -hmm. amazing reasons. Great DPS, amazing mobility, consistency, range, doesn't need a lot of attachments. You know, it's got everything going for it. By and large, not crafted. Just not Mm -hmm. crafted across the board. And I think that further reinforced how popular the Peacekeeper was uh, for those close quarters. If more teams crafted the Wingman, they probably could have countered a lot of the inconsistencies of the Wingman for those close bubble fights and end games. But that was not seen. And I think definitely solidifies how much of a nerf it is to be in the Replicator. Despite its accessibility, mm-hmm. even at the highest level, not done as one of what many people will say is the most broken gun in the game. So mm-hmm. definitely a fascinating observation. It, it was really interesting. I mean, you saw like one, like as you mentioned, the teams that got stuck getting med kits and stuff, like you could see a wingman coming in from those teams, but speed was like my big takeaway from this was like, you loot as fast as possible. You rotate as fast as possible. That's how you capitalize on getting placement. You don't have time to replicate, um, even if you want to. And I think that's kind of what eliminates it. But it was, like you said, lots of variety and really cool to see, like pretty limited POI uh, looting, essentially. Uh, it's not like the ranked we're used to. And so these players are so good. They used what the POI gave them. Like it didn't really matter. I think generally speaking, you saw one long range, one close range on a lot of players uh, and called it good. And for the best players like these guys, uh, the flat line with a 3x was long range. It's not long range for me. I can tell you that right now. But seeing them use it at long range was incredible. On my to-do list now is get better with that gun, with 3x in particular, because some people were just shredding with that combo in of itself. Yeah. 
Absolutely agreed. I think uh, any other final thoughts though overall just on ALGS, you know, championship besides it was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. So much fun to watch. Can't wait for the next one. Um and I think it surprised a lot of people. It probably surprised me at how mm-hmm. much Apex has changed at the high level and how fun it is to watch. It just mm-hmm. is probably the best BR esports out there right now because of all the things that we love the mobility, the legends, yeah. the weapons, the maps. It's really incredible. And I'm definitely going to be watching highlights uh, for the next couple of weeks because it was that good. If you are not in the esports scene and you're kind of listening to the show, like, hey, I don't really know how to get into it, turn it on, watch when it comes around because seeing it at LAN. The production value on how they kind of explained what was going on and showed you and explained to you the differences in pro play was so breathtaking to me. And, you know, Henry and I run a production company and the stuff that they were doing was so awesome in terms of the overlays on top of screens and all this kind of fun stuff. So they will broadcast, will teach you what's going on. You can enjoy it regardless if you ever watched it before. Give it a chance. It's a ton of fun. That's going to wrap up the show. Thank you to our producer of the Third Party 10, who supports us over on Patreon. Subscribe on Apple Pods, drop a follow on Spotify, and check out the Discord via the link in the description. Thanks so much for listening to the Third Party Podcast. I'll catch you next time. Peace. Hey now, another squad coming in. Boom, whole squad down. Hey, brother, not today. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs>